Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis. In this 11th episode, we will be considering Baptist Catechism question 13, which asks, how did God create man? We should remember how we got to this question. We learned in question 10 that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. That was a big a big concept that was introduced to us there in question 10. And in question 11, we learned that God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Uh, the question there was, well, how does God carry out his decrees? And we learned that he executes them, he accomplishes them in the works of creation and then providence. And in question 12, we were taught that the work of creation is God making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days, and all very good. Certainly this included God making man, but here in question 13, special attention is given to the question, how did God create man? And this is a good question to emphasize. If you remember the creation narratives of Genesis 1 and 2, they focus upon the creation of man. They tell us about creation in general, of course, but they come to focus upon God's creation of man, and for good reason. The story of Scripture is about the kingdom of God established amongst men. Uh, stated differently, the story of Scripture is largely about the redemption of man through Jesus the Christ. How important it is for us to have an accurate understanding of man, therefore. Our catechism is helpful in that it summarizes the teaching of Holy Scripture on this very point. How did God create man, is the question. And the answer is, God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. There is really a lot for us to consider here. Uh, Even though this answer is brief, uh, there is a lot packed into it, and really we do not have much time. And so let us break this answer down phrase by phrase. First of all, let us confess that God created man. This is uh, the plain teaching of Holy Scripture. But it does fly in the face of the evolutionary theory, which is so very popular in our day. The evolutionary theory teaches that men and women are the product of some evolutionary process. And frankly, I find that belief in this theory requires more faith than belief in creationism. When I consider the complexity, the order, and the frailty of the natural world, I am led to believe that there must have been a designer. And as I consider man the complexity and frailty of the human body, the ability to procreate, to reason, and to create, to exercise dominion, and to act according to morality. When I consider all of those things, I'm persuaded that man must have a creator who is the designer and source of these things. Science is the observation of the natural world. And when scientists postulate that this world came into existence spontaneously and out of nothing, I do wonder sometimes what these scientists are looking at. The same is true when it comes to their observation of man. To think that men and women, as complex and frail as they are, emerged spontaneously from some ooze or some lower life form sounds ridiculous to me. And even if man evolved from some lower life form, the question must still be asked, where did that life form come from? Science simply cannot answer that question. The answer that we give from the scriptures is that God created all things, seen and unseen, and that God created man, male and female, in his own 
image. And so let us now consider this phrase, male and female. God created man, male and female, our catechism says. Men and women share this in common. They are both fully human, made in the image of God. And considered from this perspective, men and women have way more in common than not. Nevertheless, we must confess that men and women are different. These differences are not to be ignored. They're not to be diminished or scoffed at, but rather celebrated. God created man, that is to say, humans, male and female. Men are not women, and women are not men. They have different bodies, they have different temperaments, they have different callings within the home and within the church. Again, this should not be a reason to complain, but a reason to to rejoice and to celebrate our differences. Men and women should be eager to love and serve God according to his design for them. And men and women should be eager to love and serve one another. Of course, sin has made a mess of all of this. Instead of loving and serving God, men and women hate him and rebel against his design. And instead of loving and serving one another, men and women will often oppress one another. Quite often, men are guilty of domineering women given their physical strength, and women do also strike against men, sometimes physically, but also in in other ways. But this was not God's original design. And in Christ, things are not to be this way. In marriage, the man is to lovingly lead the woman, and the woman is to lovingly submit to her husband, according to the Scriptures. In fact, in Christ, we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. That is Ephesians 4.32. Though it is true that wives are to submit to their husbands in the Lord, there is also a sense in which we are all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is Ephesians 5.21. It must be remembered that though men and women are different and have particular roles to play in Christ, we are one. We stand before God on an equal plane. Galatians 3.27-28 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a wonderful truth that we must always remember even as we consider the differences that do exist between men and women according to God's design. Next, our catechism says that God created man, male and female, after his own image. Note that men and women are together made in the image of God. But what does it mean to be made in God's image? In fact, it means many things. And we will not have the time here in this short lesson to explore all the ways in which men and women image God. One thing that it cannot mean is that we are made to look like God physically, for we have already learned that God is spirit. Neither can it mean that we are like God in every way. There are many things that we do not share in common with God. He is eternal, omniscient, infinite, etc. We have already discussed this in our time together as we journey through this catechism. But it must mean that God has made us to be like him in some respect. Truth be told, we can point to many things to show that we are made in the image of God. For example, like God, we are able to think, we are able to relate and create. We are also spiritual beings, just as God is spirit. But for the sake of time, I will draw your attention to what our catechism says next, for I think it intends to focus our minds upon these things, 
regarding the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Our Catechism says God created man, male and female, after his own image, and then it says, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Men and women, like God, have knowledge. Unlike God, our knowledge is limited knowledge, but it is nonetheless real knowledge. We can know things. We can know the truth, and we can know God. We are able to relate to him, to have a true understanding of who he is. And this is a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. This capacity was, of course, tainted and distorted by man's fall into sin, but it still remains. Instead of thinking and believing what is true concerning God, man, and the world in which we live, we often believe what is false. But this has been restored in Christ Jesus and will be restored to perfection in the new heavens and earth. Men and women, like God, have the capacity for righteousness. We were made with the ability to discern right from wrong, good from evil. Of course, as God's creatures, we were to submit to God's rule in this and to heed his word regarding right and wrong, good and evil. At the core of the sin and rebellion of our first parents was the decision to decide for themselves between right and wrong and to listen to the voice of another, a voice other than God's. Nevertheless, we, being made in the image of God, have this capacity to live righteous lives. We were created righteous, that is to say, upright. This was lost in the fall. We are born now into this world unrighteous. But this is regained in Christ. By faith, his righteousness is imputed to us, and in him we learn to walk aright. In the new heavens and earth, only righteousness will dwell. Adam and Eve were also created holy. They were pure and unstained by sin. This was our original condition. And I wonder, can you imagine it? Can you imagine humanity existing together in perfect holiness? No sin and therefore no sickness, suffering, or death. That is certainly not our condition now. We, being born in sin, do also sin. And the wages of sin is death. But this holiness is regained in Christ. By faith in him, our sins are washed away, for Christ has paid the price. No unpure thing will enter into the new heavens and new earth. I hope that you are beginning to understand that one of the ways we can talk about our salvation in Christ Jesus is in terms of the restoration of the image of God. This image remains, but it was terribly distorted and marred by sin. But in Christ, it is restored. This is one way, again, to talk about our salvation in Christ Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of sin, but he has also restored within us the image of God, which was ours at the beginning. Lastly, our catechism mentions dominion over the other creatures. God is ruler of heaven and earth, And we were created by God to rule, that is, to have dominion over the other creatures. Of course, we were to rule, we were to exercise this dominion, submitting always to God's ultimate authority. And this is what Adam failed to do. Adam was to function as a king, living forever under the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Instead, he rebelled and decided that he would reign supreme. 
you and I, friends, still have the responsibility to exercise dominion today. For example, husbands have a responsibility to lead within the home. Now that we are fallen into sin, we do not always do this well. Sometimes husbands are negligent. At other times, they are overly harsh. And the same could be said of anyone with any kind of authority in the world today. We ought to rule well under the authority of God as image bearers of God. We ought to fulfill our responsibilities, no matter what kind of responsibility it happens to be. We are to fulfill them consistently, faithfully, well, in faith, and always to the glory of God. But so often, we fall short. In Christ, we ought to fulfill this dominion mandate. And in the new heavens and earth, all will worship and serve God faithfully, working always and ever for his glory. I do hope that you are beginning to see how this pertains to Jesus the Christ. Jesus was and is truly a man. He had to be to do the job that he came to do. He came to live and to die in the place of sinful humans. Furthermore, Jesus the Christ was and is the true man. He is a man to the fullest, man as man was created to be. As a man, he bore the image of God without blemish. He was unstained in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. He exercised dominion faithfully, doing only that which was pleasing to the Father. In Christ, by virtue of his obedient life and sacrificial death, humanity is redeemed. And so let us be found in him. Until next time, friends. Abide in Christ.